Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Well, very good morning to you all. It's lovely to have so many uh, p- uh, faces in the room, especially some of you I haven't met before. My name's Rupert. I'm part of the team that helps lead Jubilee. And I'm married to Isabel, who's leading worship. And we have a nine-month-old, uh, well, I keep being told if he's nine months tomorrow, Hugo, who has literally just gone to sleep. And if I tell those of you who are familiar with this scenario that he had, uh, well, we think we had his first sort of real night's sleep interrupted by teething, Yesterday, maybe one or two of us know what I'm talking about, so up, we love him to bits, but um, if we look a little bit bleary-eyed, it's because he was up, I think, pretty much every hour until 3 a.m., so, but the main thing is he's asleep now, so praise God. I've asked Lucy to read our passage out, and I know she'll do that wonderfully for us, and then we'll get into looking at what God might have to say to us today about it. Thanks, Lucy. Lovely. So at the end of Acts today, so Acts 28, starting at verse 11, all the way through to the end, if you're following along. After three months, we set sail a ship in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, They wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, and for with regard to this sect, we know everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Fantastic. So, 
we are here to celebrate the start of a journey, the start of Elijah's journey. And we're also coming to the end of finding out about Paul's first journey. He had been in Malta when it referred to setting out after had three months rest. He'd been in Malta. And what we see, actually, just before then, was that they set off, the very verse before, it finished off and said, they put on board, the Maltese, put on board whatever we needed. And just straight away, that struck me as thinking, actually, if God has called us to do something, and if we're doing his work, and if we're in his will, we'll be provided for whatever we need. And this final chapter is the culmination of a promise that Jesus made to him. It was in extraordinary circumstances, for those of you who've been following along in Acts. Jesus appeared to Paul in a vision and said, Take courage, for as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And that's what we're going to hear about today, Paul testifying in Rome. And what happened just before Jesus spoke to him in that vision is Paul had been arrested. And as we find out, they were on trumped-up charges because he had opposition amongst the Jewish leaders. He'd been arrested. He'd avoided a plot to kill him. He'd been kept in custody. He'd been moved to another city. He'd had to defend himself before a governor and another uh, local leader. He'd been imprisoned for two years and then had to present his case before a king, chief priest. He'd survived, a st- he'd survived a storm at sea. He'd survived being becalmed at sea. And he'd survived a shipwreck. So it's no wonder, perhaps, knowing that all that was going to happen, that God spoke to him in Jerusalem before this journey to this point and said, take courage. So he's being sent as a prisoner. He's been taken in custody to to appeal, to make his defense before the highest court in the land at that time, before Caesar. But how is he received? He's received more like an emperor. If we go back, Could we, uh, do I need to go forward or do you need to go forward? There we go, okay. It says that believers, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and three taverns. Now, my ancient Roman history is not what some of yours might be, so I had to find out about this. And this meant that believers had traveled 30 miles to one of the places and 40 plus miles. Before the days of motorways, obviously. So they were traveling on foot or by cart. They traveled 40 miles to meet this supposed troublemaker. He's received in an extraordinary way. And all before that, Jesus has been saying to him, take courage. But I don't know if you missed it the first time. It took me reading it a couple of times to see that how does he take courage? What encourages him? It's when Paul, he says, on seeing them. On seeing these believers who have left Rome, travel all this way to meet him, Paul is encouraged. He thanked God. And I I, I just want to suggest to you that if you're here and you know Jesus, but you're not part of a community of believers regularly meeting together, I want to encourage you to do that. Because if it's good enough for the super apostle Paul who has done all these, as well as all this trouble, has done incredible healings. 
has testified again and again, shared his faith and seen many people come to know God, if it's good enough for him, then it should be good enough for us. And I know that there can be different seasons. We've got a bit of a tricky one right now, trying to figure out how we do work in the evenings and look after a little one and get him to bed. So I know it can be difficult and there can be other, other issues that you're facing. But if you can get along to a life group, that's how we do it in our context, perhaps in your context, they're called a cell group or a midweek group. I really want to encourage you to it. I want to speak to, you though, to those of you who've been along to Jubilee for a while and perhaps aren't part of one. David, can I ask you to stand? And Kat, is that all right? David and Kat have just started a life group in Michelover. They are kind and loyal people. It will do you good to be around them, and you will do good to them being around them. So if a Tuesday evening you think, actually, that's something I could do, come along and see them. Thanks so much. Paul and Anne. Is Anne stepped out? Is she helping at creche? Paul, can you stand? Paul and Anne are wise and caring. <laughs> they, are, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't claim that for themselves, but they are. And you guys are based over in... Bolton Moor. Bolton yeah. So, again, that is somewhere where you can be. Thanks so much, Paul. You see, it's in life groups, in the context of community, that we are encouraged, that we put courage into one another and that we receive it for ourselves. So, something to think about, perhaps. Anyhow, Paul arrives in Rome. God's promise that he will testify there comes to fruition. And it echoes the Great Commission at the end of, Mark, uh, at the end of Matthew, where, when Jesus had said, you will be my disciples in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so far, Paul has been to Judea, Samaria, and now he's going to mid-Europe. You might say it's not quite the ends of the earth, but you can see God's plan unfolding, even in the most unlikely of ways, of him being arrested on trumped-up charges. He is there before the Romans, sharing his story. So, That's the, that's the background. That's what I think we can take from initially the start of this passage. But as I was praying about this, this, this talk today, this message, I felt God really land one word in particular. And it was kind of interesting because it came to me the second it came to me, and then as I reread it, I found it. It's like a, a nugget of gold buried in amongst his explanation. I feel God wants to talk to us today about hope. I'm a secondary school teacher by day. And uh, at the moment, we are teaching Year 7 French how to say, I would like, and the topic that it lines up quite neatly with is my favorite object. So parents, I apologize in advance if, uh, if any of you out there, are, if your children are coming back saying... I, I, perhaps you can encourage them to express that in the right way. At least, at least I'm not teaching them how to say I want, at least as I would like. But we have, all of us, from, from the young ones that we've seen this morning to the oldest of us here, we have hopes. And it might be that you're hoping for a particular thing. It might be that you're hoping for a new job. Or perhaps a solution to a problem. Or perhaps who do you hope in? 
You know, when our backs are up against the wall, when it's a difficult situation, when it seems like things are not changing, and perhaps like Paul, you feel a bit becalmed, those are the moments that it reveals where our hope is placed. Do our hearts pour out in frustration because we feel hopeless? Or do we express our hope in another way? And do we reveal that our hearts are hoping in someone greater than the immediate situation we see around us? See, Paul reveals, he says, it's because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. He's, he's saying, actually, it's not his sin or disobedience that causes him to be before Jewish leaders. It's hope. And that's a bit unusual. I just want to mention briefly, if any of you here haven't yet heard Andy Robinson's message from last week about how faith can actually take these steps of obedience and how disobedience can lead us into difficult situations, I've really got to commend that to you. It was fantastic. But here, this is not what Paul is saying. Normally, we're in a bind or a mess, and we are hoping to get out. But Paul says it's, it's his hope that led to him being bound, that led to him to be in this situation. What is it about this hope? What is it about this hope of Israel which is so different, which is so countercultural, which stands apart from any other hope and any other person that you could hope in? Earlier in Acts, right at the start, Peter was quoting from Psalms and he said, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. I want to suggest to you that hope is a matter of perspective. It's a matter of what and who you look at. If, like Peter was reminding us, we, we get our vision filled with God, you're going to have assurance now for the present and confidence for the future. My body rests in hope now because I set the Lord before me. And then he goes on and says, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Notice where his focus is. You see, true hope is more than just being optimistic or thinking positively. As some secular philosophies that are prevalent and popular at the moment might have us think. Because if we're just thinking optimistically or positively, I want to suggest to you that that's actually living in a, in a slightly unreal state, in, a, in, a, in a, a slight state of denial. Imagine, please, if I go to a pub and I order a pint and I'm presented with a glass and it is filled to the halfway mark. I might then question the, the barmaid or the barman and say, oh, I've asked for a pint. And they say, yeah, yeah, but it's half full. To which I reply, I said, yes, but I, I'm paying and, and I'm hoping, and, and it's also half empty. You see, if we only look on the bright side, we are ignoring the reality of what we're going through. And I think that can lead us to a bit of a tension and a frustration. The brightness, the light that we know, is shown in contrast to the dark. 
This is why when Paul, in, in, a, in a passage that will be very well known to some of us, is speaking about sufferings and the difficulties he's going on. He says in Romans, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Rejoicing in hope. That's what we've been doing this morning. That's what we've been celebrating together as we trust and hope for Elijah, for the most wonderful walk and most wonderful life filled with knowing God. But then he goes on and he says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. That's unusual, isn't it? We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing, why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Sometimes the greatest victories come after the most difficult struggles. I've just recapped for you how Paul has had some of the most arduous and most difficult times probably of his life up to that point. What I didn't mention is before that moment in Jerusalem, he'd already been stoned and left for dead, twice arrested, survived a riot, beaten and nearly flogged. And so I think it's, I think it's just more real to notice that sometimes the path that develops, that cultivates hope within us is not the one we might choose, but it can be a difficult path. I think that's just a reflection of real life, isn't it? You know, it's been so wonderful to hear those testimonies that we've had recently on the last few Sunday mornings. We've heard of Zoe, Elliot and Lucy's niece, who was facing a really serious heart condition. And doctors have said, essentially, we're giving you these options. Maybe we need to operate now, and she may not survive, or she may want to wait for her to come to full term, and she still may not survive. And in Life Group, we have prayed, and I know that Elliot and Lucy have been praying even harder, and their families have been harder, and they have been placing their hope in the one who is above all situations. And it, it's such a joy. Zoe is well. She doesn't need that surgery. She still needs checks up. She still needs checkups, but she's doing well. There is no immediate threat or danger to her little life. We've heard another friend from uh, Richard and Susie, their friend Sally, who was in a hospice, facing really serious cancer, suffering terribly from jaundice. Her hope has been reignited. She's over in Israel at the moment at a, a, a conference from a, a marvelously inspiring lady called Heidi Baker. Now, the cancer hasn't fully gone. It's not quite been the outcome that we wanted, but she has had three months more with her family than she was expected. And rather than being bed-bound in a hospice, she is out, she's enjoying God's creation and God's people. In all of those situations, it would be so easy just to focus on what's going on. But I want to say to you, are you going to focus on the situation or the saviour? Paul 
was speaking to Jewish leaders. So it made sense for him to say, it's because of the hope of Israel. But all that we've been celebrating today is now the hope of Israel is the hope of all nations. I'm not Jewish. Many people in this room will not be Jewish, and yet they know Jesus. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul was confident. He'd seen the incredible transformations that happened as people believed and put their trust and sought forgiveness in this incredible man, this son of God, Jesus. The Gentiles, that's, that's you, that's me. They will listen. I want to ask, do you know this hope? Do you know what this hope is? Perhaps, perhaps coming along to church is, is your normal thing. Maybe coming along to Jubilee is something you do regular. Have you placed your hope in the one who is above every situation? Maybe you're visiting today and you're part of the celebration for Elijah, and that's wonderful. And maybe church has been a regular thing or an occasional thing, but you don't know for yourself. You don't know. You couldn't say, yes, I hope. I place my trust in Jesus. Or maybe you're here and this all just seems a little bit unusual. They seem very excited about this Jesus character. And I don't say this in a patronizing way in the slightest. Please forgive me if it seems that way. That was my experience. I went along at 20 to a church a bit similar to this. And all I could say is it seemed like people were in a relationship with a God, with a God the God, this God that they were singing about. And I just noticed that I was on the outside looking in. What became clear to me as I read, as I spoke to friends who I was with, is actually this was a life-changing, a life-transforming hope. The hope that we have in Jesus is a living hope, promised and obtained through his resurrection from the dead. It means that we know the hope of eternal life. This is why Sally is renewed in vigor, because she knows that as and when it is the end of her days. She will be with him in glory, with a body incorruptible. She will enjoy time praising him, worshipping him, serving him, enjoying a new earth and a new creation. She has that confident hope. This hope is described not as blind faith, but as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul into God's inner sanctuary. Another version describes it as an unbreakable spiritual lifeline into the very presence of God. Do you have that lifeline? If you do, are you trusting in him with your whole heart? Because I want to suggest that for the one who knows Jesus, I'm not sure if there ever is a truly hopeless situation. Perhaps there are situations where we haven't yet set the Lord before us. We haven't invited the one who is hope to give us the gift of hope. And that's something you can do at any time, at any place. I had been along to 
meetings like this a few times. I had started chatting to these, these friends who didn't just call themselves Christians, but the person I met who, who truly called themselves a Christian, there was something genuine about them. I didn't know that the light that was the life of all mankind was inside her and was shining out. But I started going along to these meetings, and in my case, eventually, I read a really good book. I, I recommend it to anybody who, who may have questions, maybe seeking, called Turning Points by Vaughan Roberts, and it just seemed to make sense. In this book, Vaughan Roberts described it as trying to function, yet feeling that there was a part of you missing. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just that you feel that in your life there is an absence of hope. You can do what I did. You can literally just invite Jesus into your heart. Even if you don't feel confident in doing that, even if you just want to say for perhaps the first time, help me along this path, he will do that. Elsewhere, this God of majesty, this, this king of kings that the children have been talking about, he's described as a father who runs towards those who come to their senses and come back to him. He's the most wonderful, most, he, he is the embodiment of love. So, as we draw to a close, if you are feeling without hope today, I want to encourage you. Bring yourself into a community of people who can encourage you, who can help you to set your gaze to the one who will give you hope. And if all of this does seem a bit strange and does seem a bit unfamiliar, then perhaps have a word with Ben and Julia. Or perhaps have a word with that member of the family who you know, yeah, they, man, they've been inviting me to church for ages, they finally caved. Perhaps explore it some more with them. You're welcome to come and chat to myself and James and Naomi as well. We, we would love to help you, just to answer some questions, maybe point you in a helpful direction. But the reason that Paul could say with confidence that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles is because he had seen it working and active in his life. And God is working and active in everyone's life, whether we can recognize it or not. We've talked about through tough times how actually that can lead to the development of hope. Here's the culmination for Paul. He ended up teaching about Jesus. This version says, with all boldness and without hindrance. Another says, and no one tried to stop him. No one. I think it's so easy to miss that. They had tried to stop him so much. In their wisdom, the people who were opposing him had had him arrested, beaten, moved from city to city. And finally, God used all of that, and when he had him in the right place, to tell about this wonderful hope in Jesus to the Romans, no one could stop him. 
So I just, I just want to invite you, wherever you are, James and Naomi, are you, are you guys wanting to pray or do you want me to go for it? Yeah. I just want to invite you, wherever you are, if you're feeling full to the brim of hope today or if you are feeling a bit hopeless, just to close your eyes and just to begin to allow the one who is the author of hope to move in your life. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that with you, all things are possible. I want to thank you that you are the author of our faith, that you have poured love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And I want to pray for endurance for any of those right now who are really feeling that they're going through the mill. I want to pray that you would help them with that endurance and that character that hope would be birthed in them. And I pray, Lord God, Father, I ask, let us hope in you, in the one who is our rescuer, our saviour. Lift our eyes from our situations, be they good, be they bad. And would we see, as we saw in Paul's life, would we see your kingdom come? Would we see your good and perfect and loving will be done here on this earth in our towns and cities as it is in heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www 